putting the three in 3D. Is there a hologram in your future? I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Brad Feld, author, venture capitalist, co-founder of Techstars and partner at the Founder Group. Welcome back, Brad. Thanks, Tanya. Great to see you. Good to see you again as well. Give our audience, please, a quick summary of your professional background and accomplishments. Sure. Uh, I'm a partner at a venture capital firm called Foundry Group. Uh, we're based in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, have a little bit over $3 billion of capital under management, invest in early stage tech companies. Uh, some people may have heard of historically would be Zynga, SendGrid, current companies that are growing like crazy would include Whoop. Um, uh, Zometry would be another one that uh, some people here might know. Uh, I'm also a co-founder of Techstars, uh, which today makes about 400 new investments a year around the world through their accelerator programs, currently has over 2,000 active uh, investments at the pre-seed level. And uh, I like to write, I like to read, I like to run, and I like to spend time with my wife, Amy Batchelor. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Among other things, you do write. You do write quite a bit. Um, besides all of your books, um, you keep us pretty active with your current thoughts. And one of those recently was that you were ready for a holographic future. Why is that? Well, I, I have a long path back uh, to holography. And uh, it, it comes from when I was in college. So when I was at MIT, I was an undergrad at MIT. Uh, there was a professor named Steve Batten who died a number of years ago, who basically invented digital holography. Uh, one of my still best friends, a guy named John Undercoffler, uh, who for many years ran a company called Oblong, uh, worked in Benton's lab. And so I was exposed to what, uh, you know, sort of John was doing around this. And John invented, and I still have the artifact, I have it in, uh, I have a, a barn at my house and I have it in my barn. Uh, he invented uh, a 3D holographic camera. Now, Today, when we think about 3D cameras or cameras that can do any sort of 3D visualization, like we're, we're getting pretty close to where our iPhone has that level of capability from both a hardware and a software perspective. Um, this camera was the size of a Volkswagen uh, bug and it moved on uh, rails and it had you know, a full desktop computer that was, was running whatever the desktop computer was running. It's actually quite a production to put together this thing and this 1990. So the, the trajectory of that's been significant. I've also been very uh, intrigued with video conferencing and involved in video conferencing for many, many years. And you know, it's we, we all now are living in a video conferencing world post COVID, but you know, in a lot of ways, the video conferencing technology is not that dissimilar to what existed 20 years ago. There, there are little bits of nuances here and there, and there's certainly improvements in terms of um, uh, the fidelity and, and the quality, but the idea that we're still doing this via 2D screens and the kind of user interface that we're using uh, is, is kind of absurd at some intellectual level. At the same time, I am not a believer in VR. So my fundamental uh, belief in VR is that it's, uh, it's, it's interesting and, and quite fascinating from some perspectives. I'm a huge reader of science fiction. I do not believe in the future we will be lying in crashes in 3R simulations where we're being fed with tubes in and out of our body while we're in this crash dealing with a, a VR universe and that all the action is going to be uh, virtual. I just, I just don't think that's compelling. And some people do. And, you know, if you're a video gamer, maybe that's super awesome. 
Um, but I think especially, you know, coming out of COVID and just seeing the dynamics of so many people coming out of COVID saying, you know, either they really desperately want to get together with other people or other people who are like, I don't want to travel at all. You know, there isn't a, a uniform view. So I'm not a believer in the encapsulated VR view. However, on the inverse of that, holograms and the idea of 3D, and if somebody says, well, I kind of think I know what a hologram is, or I kind of think I know what a digital hologram is, tell me more. You know, go back to the, that, that Princess Leia, Star Wars, R2-D2 moment where, um, you know, the Princess Leia hologram in blue comes out and uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi see Princess Leia says, you know, um, Obi-Wan, I need your help or whatever the, the famous line is that I've uh, uh, probably corrupted. All the Star Wars fans will now be annoyed with me. They said I didn't call it Star Trek. Um, and then, uh, you know, that that's kind of a crude version of what we're talking about. Fast forward to 2021. And I believe we are at the cusp of both hardware and software being able to do true real-time 3D digital holography. And I think that um, uh, the challenge is both a hardware problem and a software problem. And they're both moving very quickly in parallel with very, very different kinds of dynamics. Uh, so personally, I'm very enthusiastic about that as the next wave, not just for video conferencing, but for all aspects of interaction with 3D type assets. Um, just last comment on this to sort of tie all the pieces together for programmers. Uh, uh, as somebody who's been a software developer for many, many, many years, you know, I wrote, I wrote my first real software in the early 1980s. Um, I was very familiar with the REPL and sort of this notion of a programming language being uh, a reevaluate print and it being a loop. And the idea that you'd write code, uh, either an interpreter or a compiler would translate it, you then link it, you then run it, maybe with a debugger, you'd figure out what's wrong with it, and then you go back and edit the code again. And today, in terms of contemporary technology, the REPL is really fast. But if you go back to 1984, Turbo Pascal was this incredible innovation because it dramatically increased the speed of the REPL um, because of how fast Turbo Pascal was at going from the code to being able to run it. I've made a number of investors in 3D printing. And one of the problems with 3D printing and the, the investments I've made include, they're all companies going from industrial 3D printing to the desktop. So MakerBot, uh, Formlabs and Glowforge. In 3D printing, there is a long latency with the REPL. You go into a 2D screen, you run a 3D design tool in a 2D screen. Um, so you're kind of working in two and a half D, you load it into the printer, you wait for the printer to print the thing, then you visually inspect the thing, realize where the problems are, and you go back to your CAD software and fix it and do it again. If you introduce uh, a 3D visualization before you have to print, press print, you have that same massively accelerated REPL because you can now manipulate and look in 3D, zoom in, zoom out, rotate what you've done in 2D, but you can actually see it in 3D and manipulate it in 3D. And so all of a sudden um, the hologram or the, the holographic viewer accelerates all of your interactions between a 2D world shifting to a 3D world. Again, if you go forward next decade, I'm a believer in the Jetsons 
um, uh, Matterport, you know, the thing that the Jetsons had on the wall that every time they needed breakfast, you know, if George was making breakfast, the toast would always be burned. It was so unbelievably sexist to go back in time and watch early Jetsons, you know, but June would get it, you know, the eggs would come out fluffy and perfect and George's would be burnt. And all they did was press the same button on the Matterport that was in the wall. Like we should have Matterports, like we should be getting to that place in this world. You mentioned John Underkoffler, and honestly, I think when he's one of the most brilliant minds, I think a lot of John, why didn't he create this? Like, seriously? Well, so John, um, John as an undergraduate did holograms, and then he ended up in a lab at MIT where he got his PhD in the media lab, working in a group that I'm not going to remember the name of it from then, um, but I think it was the tangible media group or something like that, and he really invented um, and when I say invented, John invented, and many of the original patents are his, a new way of interacting with computing and data in a real-time sense. Um, so a great example early on was uh, chess projected on the wall from a computer and then being able to play chess by pointing at the chess pieces and dragging them virtually on the wall. This was in the mid-90s. He had a bunch of things like that which were both optics and software. Like it wasn't just software. He then started commercializing that. If people remember the movie Minority Report, all of the science and technology in Minority Report came out of John's head. So Spielberg said something to John like, you know, just, it's, just imagine it's 2054, tell me what's going, you know, make this stuff happen. The cars that go vertical, John's idea that cars go vertical. Um, all of the Tom Cruise character moving things around on screens, forward, backwards, all the user interface stuff, again, all John. And uh, he then started commercializing that and created a company. And so he drifted away uh, from uh, holography. I made an investment a couple of years ago in a company called Looking Glass. It's at lookingglassfactory.com. And they are, in my opinion, the furthest ahead in this category. They now have um, uh, a, a device that's a picture frame size device, uh, I think six inches by nine inches or something like that. Um, that's a 3D holographic display and it costs a couple hundred bucks, right? So if you're somebody who has a 2D picture frame that rotates pictures, imagine if you could do that in 3D instead of 2D. Um, John joined that board uh, sometime last year. And so it's been really fun to sort of link all the pieces together and get John into sort of as one of the parents of contemporary digital holography back into that leading company. So what hurdles then do we need to overcome to help holography go mainstream? Well, there's, there's a handful of serious technological challenges. And, you know, some people, uh, if you think about the, the things that have been massively overhyped over the last uh, few years, um, an example would be Magic Leap. And, you know, if you think about uh, the, the, the demo reels of Magic Leap, which were spectacular, but then the actual hardware required to make that happen, you know, you're carrying around uh, hardware on your back. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't really work. It's not really stable uh, in terms of the visualization of it. So you've got this sort of combination of processing power optics, the type of display dynamics you have, are your display dynamics glasses? Are they a screen? How, what's your field of vision? You know, a 3D holographic display that has a 20 or 30 
degree view cone, which would be a view cone like about this, is not going to be nearly as interesting as a 60 degree view cone, which would be a view cone like this, right? Where you have to get really up close to see the hologram, you know, versus being able to sort of interact with it this way. So there's a bunch of those kinds of issues. Then you have software challenges, because what you're really doing is having to deal with a massive amount of data. And it's a geometric problem. You're not just dealing with X and Y coordinate system anymore. You're adding a Z coordinate system. So now you have three dimensions to deal with. And so as you add more resolution, the amount of data you have to deal with grows exponentially. Um, and it's very interesting because you're also dealing with the difference between static, in other words, displaying a static image and then a moving image. And for anybody who's been involved in animation of any sort, they'll understand this instinctively, is, is the same fidelity problem exists in terms of processing power. If you think about the software and processing power that was used for Toy Story versus the software and processing power used for whatever the most recent, it was Soul, uh, Pixar movie, enormous shift in underlying technology, but also in the sophistication of software. The last is that one of the natural, and I think there's a market adoption issue, um, there are a few natural obvious applications, but everybody asks the question, what's the killer app? That's super cool, Brad. What's the killer app for 3D, you know, for holographic displays? I've had to deal with this as an investor for many of my investments. When I invested in MakerBot in 2010, um, I remember being ridiculed uh, on a couple of dimensions. One, it was an open source hardware company. How stupid is that? You invest in an open source hardware company, anybody can just rip that off. Number two, oh, a 3D desktop printer. Why would anybody need one of those? What would you ever do with one of those, right? Like you're running up against those kinds of challenges intellectually among people. Um, with holographic display, about the only thing people can lock into as a, uh, an obvious killer app is, is 3D video conferencing. And you even see that the, the Google announcement that they just announced for their video conferencing booth, um, uh, which is you know super expensive, super high end, very controlled environment, um, you know clearly sort of pretty amazing what it can do, but at a very prototype level, lots of optics. I don't have any idea what the, the bandwidth constraint needs are, you know, to, to have it actually work in an effective way. Um, but you look at something like that and people kind of respond like, wow, that's cool. But even then when you watch like the 2D video of the 3D experience, it's very hard to translate that. Think about how hard it is to do a, you know, a YouTube or a Vimeo sizzle reel for something that's 3D. It's hard. And so like crossing that, um, that gap uh, in terms of real market usage and practical advices is challenging. And what, what Looking Glass has done, which I think is uh, a great approach is that for the last three years, they've released, rapidly released incremental products and gotten them into the hands of uh, thousands, probably ten of, tens of thousands of people now, many of whom are developers or hologram nerds, or artists, or people that are pressing on the technology. So now as you start to use the technology more broadly for things that are very relevant, molecular design in chemistry is a very challenging 3D problem that currently everybody's doing on very large 2D displays. And so your ability to visualize that in 3D is very hard and you have to be an expert. Same thing with any sort of you know, CAD, 
or design, industrial design type applications. Again, you're on a 2D screen doing something in 3D. You have to be an expert using the software. Um, you know, if you're a doctor looking at an MRI, you have to actually understand that very complex MRI software versus being able to have a real visualization of a 3D model in real time. So there, there's a bunch of places where um, this has obvious applications, um, but the technology is still, you know, behind them. You couldn't do video conferencing on an Apple II. The, the telecommunication infrastructure wasn't there. Apple II didn't, you know, there was the camera infrastructure wasn't there. You really couldn't do it on an early IBM PC, but it didn't take that long, like another five or six years. And all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't just the Futurama AT&T picture phone where you could do video conferencing, but people were starting to do low fidelity picture conferencing on VGA monitors. And then it just accelerated from there. We're sort of at that VGA monitor stage, uh, you know, in this arc. Brad Feld, venture capitalist, co-founder of Techstars, partner of the Founder Group, and co-author of the Entrepreneur's Weekly Nietzsche, a book for disruptors. In fact, it just came out, Brad. If somebody wants to get a copy of your book, where can they find it? Best place to find it in any form, Kindle, physical, and audible within a couple of weeks would be Amazon. Uh, there's also a website, weeklydisruptor.com, uh, that can point you there if uh, uh, you want to go to a website instead of Amazon directly. Always great talking to you, Brad. Thanks. And I highly recommend you follow him on LinkedIn. He's always posting his latest blog. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on ZDNet, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at TanyaHall.net. Thanks for watching. Thank you.